fits very nicely with the passage of Scripture and the theme that I want us to consider this evening from the Scriptures. So I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to the book of Ruth, chapter 2. Ruth, chapter 2. Many, many years ago, I guess nine years ago maybe, I preached a series through the book of Ruth and took as the theme for the whole book the providence of God in the life of a needy family. That was the theme we looked at in all four chapters, the providence of God in the life of a needy family. What I want to do this evening is narrow our focus just specifically here to chapter 2, and I'm going to beg your patience and take as an assumption that you all are very, very familiar with the main story of the book of Ruth. I'll be alluding to things that happen in chapter 1 and on into chapter 3 and 4, and just taking for granted that you know the story of the book of Ruth, but we'll read chapter 2 in its entirety here, and then after we read this chapter, we'll seek the Lord in prayer together, and then we'll come to look at one particular theme out of chapter 2. So chapter 2 and verse number 1 of the book of Ruth. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose height I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hat was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was said over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And he said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, and bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me? seeing I 
am a stranger. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord, of Is- the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thy handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up, and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she, was, she had reserved after that she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, what hast thou gleaned to, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Amen. We'll end our Bible reading there at the end of that chapter 2. Let's seek the Lord in prayer together. and Let's ask his help this evening. Our Father, we thank you for this book of Ruth and the imagery that we see here of that one who is the kinsman redeemer. It brings to our memory our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is our redeemer. But we pray that as we consider this passage today and consider an aspect of your providence and your sovereign leading that by faith you lead us along the pathway that we should go. We ask that you would speak to every heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ruth is a book that demonstrates to us the sovereignty and the providence 
of God. What we've read about here in Ruth chapter 2, and actually all of the events of the entire book of Ruth, occur during the time of the judges. That time was a time in Israel's history of political, economic, and really social chaos in the land of Israel. And it really doesn't take a lot of spiritual sense to start drawing the parallels between the events of that day, the the culture of that day, and what we experience ourselves. Uh, You remember that refrain in the book of Judges that that shows up uh, from time to time that there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Those are the days that we live in. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. But however, despite the chaos that whirls around us, and at the time of uh, the events in Israel's history, the book of Ruth portrays, if you will, a calm in the midst of that storm. In this book, we see God is still very much in control of all things. He still is organizing the path for his people. He is sovereign, and his providence is ruling over all the affairs of men. If, as I said earlier, I beg your attention and your memory from the content of the book of Ruth, uh, you will remember that in chapter 1 we see really a series of very hard and difficult providences. Uh, We see Naomi experiencing famine in the land of Bethlehem. And that famine forced her and her family to move to Moab. Well, in Moab, she experienced more of the hard providence of God. First, she lost her husband, Elimelech, and then not long after that, she lost her two sons, Malon and Kilion. She also experienced separation from one of her daughters-in-law, her daughter-in-law Orpah, who chose not to return to Bethlehem with them, who actually chose to forsake the God of Israel, to go back to her own kinsmen and return to her idols in Moab rather than to return and serve the Lord Jehovah in Bethlehem. She also experienced, I would put to you, a great emotional sorrow in really not understanding why all these things were taking place. She didn't understand why the Lord's hand was heavy upon her. But I would submit to you, as we ought to recognize, that while she didn't understand why the Lord's hand was hard upon her, she did recognize it to be the Lord's hand. She did recognize that the Lord was the one who was controlling all of these things. And she knew that God was providentially bringing these things into her life. Well, in chapter 2, we have a shift from God's heavy hand of providence to God's good and very tender hand of providence. Uh, We we see a change in the story. Now, I hope, having said that, it doesn't lead to confusion, because God's heavy hand of providence is not a wicked hand. God's heavy hand of providence is still a good and tender hand, because that's the very nature and character of God. He is good. He never does evil. He never does that which is wicked. So even that heavy hand is a good and tender hand of providence. Uh, 
though from our perspective we perceive it to be something very hard and very difficult. But in chapter 2 it's obvious that there is the good thing that the Lord brings into the life of Naomi and into the life of Ruth, her, her daughter-in-law. So this evening, what I want to look at from this second chapter is the subject of God's providence in a bountiful provision. That's the subject I want us to deal with. God's providence in a bountiful provision. And as we go through this chapter, I don't want to leave this simply as just a running commentary through the chapter, but I want, us to, I want to point out some very specific things uh, along the way as we observe this subject, God's providence in a bountiful provision. And I want you to see, first of all, that God providentially directs the steps of his people. As the Lord would providentially provide, we see first here that God providentially directs the steps of his people. To do that, we need to go back to the very last verse of chapter 1. Look at verse 22 of chapter 1. It says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Now, as we consider... God providentially directing the steps of his people, God providentially leading his people, I want you to see here that God directed Naomi and Ruth back to Bethlehem. That's the first event in this story of God's providential provision. And it's interesting that you read at the end of verse number 22 that they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Now, if you just look at the book of Ruth simply from a secular literary standpoint, that serves from a literary perspective as a transition in the story to make you aware of what's about to happen next. There's a good reason that whoever figured out where they wanted to put the chapter headings divided the chapter right there, because chapter one obviously comes to a close, and chapter two is going to tell you now about them being in Bethlehem during the time of this barley harvest. So from a literary standpoint, it just serves as a transitional statement. But from a secular and humanistic standpoint, someone reading this story just as a piece of literature would say, oh, what a happy coincidence. What a happy coincidence. But yet not us. When we come to this and we look at this story and we understand the theological significance of what's happening here, we're triggered to immediately recognize God's sovereign hand of providence in leading Naomi and Ruth to Bethlehem at this particular time. Naomi and Ruth were poor. Their husbands had died. There was no man, and you have to understand some of the cultural significance of this, there was no man to provide for them. These two women on their own brought back to Bethlehem. But notice the timing of God. It was at the beginning of barley harvest. It wasn't in the dead of winter. It wasn't at the end of barley harvest. It wasn't when they were planting the seeds of the barley. But it was at the very beginning of the barley harvest. You, you could look at this from this perspective and say, theoretically, 
a month or two earlier or a month or two later, they would have starved. There wouldn't have been the provision that God provided for them. And so we see God's providential leading of his people to the right place at the right time in all of the right circumstances. Are we not told this, and is this truth not highlighted for us in Scripture and many other places? You know very well Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. The Lord leads his people along. He leads them where they are to go. The Bible tells us that the word itself is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our pathway. God providentially and systematically leads his people in the direction that they are to go. And so as we further this thought, God providentially directs the steps of his people. We see the Lord directing Ruth to Boaz's field. You look at verse number one, and Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, this man named Boaz. So in the story, we're introduced to who this man is. Boaz is a very wealthy man and also a near kinsman, a relative of Elimelech, a relative by marriage of Naomi. And at this point, Ruth has no idea about this man. She doesn't know who Boaz is. She's never met Boaz. As we read the story, she's never heard anybody talk about Boaz before. But Ruth tells Naomi that she's going to go out into one of the fields and she's going to gather grain behind the reapers. Now, this was no unusual thing. This was actually a provision that was laid down in the Mosaic Law. You can find it in Leviticus 19 and verse number 9. God had made specifically a provision that a man with a field, he was not to gather the corners of his field. And also as reapers would gather their field and as they would, pardon the expression, but by chance drop pieces of grain along the way as they went down their field, according to the Mosaic Law, they were not supposed to be so meticulous as to go back and pick up all the things that they had dropped along the way. That that had dropped, had dropped, and it was a provision for the poor. They were allowed by the Mosaic Law to go and follow behind the reapers and gather what they could. And you can understand, hired reapers were trying to do their best to gather as much as they could, and so normally there was really just very little that was left over or dropped along the way for these poor to have. But the law was in place there to help those that were poor. But if we understand what we read in the book of Judges, the law of God was ignored to a large degree, and the poor found it very difficult. This would have actually been quite a dangerous place for a young single woman to be. A bunch of men, reapers out in the fields. It does mention in this context some handmaidens of Boaz. Um, but this was not a safe and not necessarily even a very wholesome place for a single young lady uh, to find herself. But yet there she was. And so that morning Ruth sets out to find herself a field to gather in. And Pastor Kimbrough likes to mention often these uh, great turns of phrase in the King James. And he mentioned this morning, 
uh, lewd fellows of the baser sort. Well, here we have one of those other turns of phrase in verse number 3. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. She just so happened to find herself there, her not knowing who Boaz was, but yet there she was. And so, you know, we would say that you know, it, it just so happened she ended up in Boaz's field. Again, a secularist would look at this and say, well, what a, what a wonderful irony. What a great coincidence. But yet we understand it wasn't irony or coincidence at all. But it was simply part of the whole orchestration of God and his providence, leading Ruth to the right place at the right time. It says this part of the field that belonged to Boaz, what would have happened is outside the city of Bethlehem, there would have been a very, very large communal field. And various families, as the land had been divided, various families would have been assigned basically a portion of the field. Uh, whether there be some markers or whatever, but this section was Boaz's section, and this section over there was somebody else's section. And so that's why we read along in the story that she wasn't to go to another section. Boaz said, no, you stay in my part of the field. And when she goes home, Naomi tells her, don't let anybody see you in another section of the field. Stay in, in Boaz's portion of the field. And so there she was, of all this massive field, the Lord directed her steps specifically to that place. Uh, of the scores of plots of land, the Lord directed her steps right to that place. And so we see the Lord again directing, providentially directing the steps of his people. But then we see further providence, not only in the Lord directing Ruth in the place that she should go, but we also see the timing of God's providence to direct Boaz to the place he should go. And so the Bible tells us that Boaz here is a very wealthy man. Who knows if Boaz went every day to observe the reapers, if he went out every day to check on the status of his crops. We don't know that. The Bible doesn't tell us that part of the story. But we do know of all the days that he did go, he went that day when Ruth was there. And he had his servants that could do his harvesting for him. Boaz didn't have to wield a sickle. Boaz didn't have to go out there and do work himself. Boaz could have very easily stayed in the comforts of his own home, in the comforts of his shade, and, and not had to go out. But yet there he was. And the Lord in his providence caused him to recognize Ruth and, and observe her and, and see what she had done and so, as we read here, he goes to the man in charge of the reapers and, hey, who's this lady? What's she doing? And the story was told of what Ruth had been doing that whole day and where she came from, that she was a Moabitess, that she was a stranger. And so, again, we see evidence of God's sovereign and providential leading of his people, the right place at the right time. But I want to move on next to see another aspect of this story. We see God's providence in a bountiful, bountiful provision, God providentially leading his people. But secondly, I want you to see that God uses means to accomplish his providence. He uses means to accomplish his providence. What we've seen so far is 
God's direct but yet hidden hand of providence. But I want to point out two means that the Lord uses that we can see in this chapter to accomplish his will in the lives of his people and and to direct his people in the way that they are to go. The first one that I want to mention to you is one that, especially in our day, is a quite unpopular means. The means I want you to see is in verse 2, when Ruth says to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean ears of corn, ears of grain. It's the the barley. But the means that the Lord uses here that I want to highlight is simply the means of honest hard work. The means of honest work hard work. One of the means that God uses to supply the needs of Ruth and Naomi in this chapter is Ruth going out and working and and laboring in the heat of the day. She was the younger of the two. We're not told exactly the age of Naomi, but Ruth, obviously the daughter-in-law, a younger woman, and went out and she We live in a culture, it's no secret to you, uh, we live in a culture that wants their needs met without having to do any work. People want more money for less work. That's common sense, obviously, and that's what we all want. We want more money for less work. That's human nature. But so many today looking for handouts, so many today looking for the benefits of work without the work But the Lord in his providence uses work to provide for the needs of his people. In a sense, we can say that here Ruth was engaged in the thing that she was supposed to be doing. And the Lord used that means of her engaged in what she was supposed to be doing in his providence. Her taking responsibility for the needs of herself and Naomi, her her family at this point, and the Lord provided. Ruth was of hard work. Naomi did not push her out into doing this. We read in the chapter, Ruth is volunteering to go and do this. And we see something of a work ethic that was even recognized by the man who was the leader of Boaz's reapers. He says in verse number 7, So she came, and she's continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Well, that word house uh, is not the house that Boaz lived in. That word house in the Hebrew is actually the word for a hut or a tent. Uh, Really, I think if we understand this correctly, um, in the story, Boaz tells her, you can come and draw water whenever you want to from, from where my men have have gathered water in this tent. It it was probably some kind of temporary booth that had been set up as shade on the edge of the field. And this leader of Boaz's work crew says she's been working all day long. She's, you know, for a little time came in and, and, and sat in the tent, but she's been working the whole time. But let's consider this point a little bit more deeply. Now, the this aspect of work and the Lord using this means for leading in providence, his people. Naomi already knew about Boaz. Boaz was was known to Naomi, but 
I think, if we understand this right, not to Ruth. Naomi knew where Boaz lived. Naomi probably would have known Boaz's portion of the field. But we don't read anything of the story of Naomi telling Ruth exactly where to go. We don't see Naomi manipulating the the circumstances. We see in Ruth this, again, something of a work ethic, not deciding to take the easy route, getting to Bethlehem and and realizing, wow, this is going to be really, really tough. Maybe Orpah made the right decision by staying in Moab. Maybe I should just go back to my father's house, to my parents' home in Moab where there was plenty and everything would have been okay. No, Ruth didn't take the easy road, the easy way out. But if I can speak colloquially here, she took up her basket, she put on her work sandals, and she went to the field, and she worked. But God used that in his providence to provide. Not making use of charity, if you will, other than what was a provision of the law. But had Ruth never gone out that day to work, then we look at this from a human standpoint, she would have never met Boaz. If she had stayed at home wallowing in self-pity of why have all these bad things happened to me and woken up that morning in despair and despondency and rolled over and said, we're just all going to die, how are we ever going to make it? Then would she have ever met Boaz? But no, God in his providence directed her steps and used an ordinary means of work to provide. One thing we can learn here is that there's no shame in being in need. Look at verse 13, the way she talks here. Ruth said to Naomi, or I'm sorry, Ruth said to Boaz, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me. And for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thy handmaids. Here, Ruth acknowledges her need. Ruth acknowledges in a very humble way her submission to Boaz. We, we see the word translated here in verse number 13 as handmaid. It's not exactly the same Old Testament word that's used for a slave in that sense, if, if we think of a hierarchy of workers, and I don't know how else to say this, but the slave would have been at the very, very bottom rung of all of the servants. There were other servants that I think we would call slaves just because of the way that we use that word, but they weren't slaves in that sense. There were servants that Boaz had that were his servants, But the word that Ruth uses to identify herself is that word that would have put her at the very, very bottom rung of servants. That bottom rung of what we would use in our language of a slave. But she took no shame in that. She she didn't take shame in the fact that she had need. But instead she humbled herself and begged for grace and mercy in the sight of Boaz. There's no shame in being in need. There's shame in discontentment. There's shame in laziness. There's shame in rebelling against the
providential hand of God in hard providences, but no shame in being in need. But we see the Lord using this means of honest hard work to provide for the needs of his people. But if we flip that coin, we see a second means, and that is the means of a wealthy man, and that's Boaz. The Bible says that the Lord is the one that gives men the power to get wealth. And the Lord obviously had blessed Boaz in a great way. The best thing you can ever learn to do with your resources is to learn to use them for the Lord's glory. I don't remember where I first heard this. I was reminded of this phrase, and I tried to look it up and find out where I first heard this quote, but I think it's a good one. One of the marks of a man's sanctification is when his treasures become his tools. One of the marks of a man's sanctification is when his treasures become his tools. Why do you want more money? Well, is it so that you can support the Lord's work? Or is it so that you can make your life more comfortable? That's two entirely different perspectives on wealth. Why do you want a bigger house? If you want a bigger house, but why do you want a bigger house? Is it for your own comforts? Or so that it can be a tool to better minister to the Lord's people? Again, that's two very different perspectives on wealth. But here we see the Lord using Boaz in this situation in a very generous way to provide for the needs of one who was unworthy of his provision, uh, one who was a stranger, an outsider even. But the Lord used Boaz in this situation to abundantly provide for Naomi and Ruth. Under normal circumstances, a gleaner wouldn't glean very much in a day. But we read in verse 17, and we just go on past it because we read this word ephah, and we have no earthly idea what it is. You ladies baking cakes, you've never put an ephah of flour in anything in your life. You don't know what an ephah is. I didn't know what an ephah is, so I look it up. Well, an ephah is roughly two-thirds of a bushel. And so I did a little bit more investigating on that because other than maybe the coddles. I don't know how many of us are very familiar with bushels. We don't get a bushel of much of anything. But if you do the math on this, it works out to be the grain that she would have gathered, milled and turned into flour, you would have ended up with about 35 pounds of flour. So I got a bread recipe that I use pretty often, or often enough, that calls for 16 ounces of flour. So that's a pound of flour. So she can make 35 loaves of bread, and that's gleaning a day. This is how the Lord provided for Ruth in such a way that in the circumstances of what Ruth was dealing with would have been an unheard of amount to gather. Now, we see that all from Boaz's generosity because Boaz told his reapers, leave her alone. Don't bother her. Don't rebuke her. Let her come behind. Let her even reap. Forget picking up the stuff on the ground. Let her reap right alongside you. Let her, let her do what she wants or, or needs to do. And let her gather whatever she needs. And in fact, don't even reap everything. Leave stuff on purpose for her. For her to be able to gather up. We know that from behind the scenes. 
But this is the Lord's providential provision for Ruth and for Naomi. But I want to finish this evening looking at this whole story from a completely different perspective. We've seen God's providence in a bountiful provision for his people. But I want to take this story and, like I say, look at it from a different perspective. We see God's bountiful provision, and we see it in in temporal, earthly, monetary provision, if you will. But I want to look at this bountiful, bountiful provision as a type of salvation. And look at a spiritual lesson, a spiritual picture that we can see in this passage. I think it's clear enough for us to understand that Ruth serves as a picture of the sinner. I think it's also easy enough for us to understand that Boaz serves as a type of Christ. Later in the story, he's going to be referred to specifically as a kinsman redeemer. In our youth Bible study that we've been having on the Friday nights, I haven't necessarily used this word with you guys, uh, you young people that are here, but what we've been studying is really the doctrine of hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible, how to, how to take a passage of Scripture, unfold it, and, and understand what's there, and, and how to interpret it devotionally for ourselves and, and whatnot. And we've talked about different methods of interpreting the Scriptures. And we've been looking at it so far just from a plain, ordinary, common-sense reading of the passage and understanding the pieces that are there. What we do now in this point really is more of a spiritualizing of the passage. Something that is legitimate to be done when things are obvious and on the surface types and and pictures uh, and drawing those parallels. We get into some danger, and I'm kind of taking you into the preacher's workshop at this point. There is some danger in just having a sanctified imagination in spiritualizing a text and seeing things that are just not there and and making up things that sound really warm and fuzzy and heartwarming. We have to be careful in, in spiritualizing a passage of Scripture. But I think in this passage of Scripture we see some parallels to what we understand of the gospel and of salvation quite clearly. And if I can simply point those out as we close this evening, I trust they'd be encouragement to us all. But I want you to see, first of all here, it shows, of us, it shows us a sinner asking for and receiving great grace. When Ruth sets out to find a field to glean in, I think she knows that this is not going to be an easy job. And we see in verse number two that she tells Naomi that she is hoping to find grace in the eyes of someone who will let her into his field. She's looking for grace. Well, Ruth is an outsider. She's a Moabitess. Her name occurs in this book 12 times. Five of those 12 times she is referred to as Ruth the Moabitess. So you see it in verse number two, Ruth the Moabitess. She wasn't Ruth the Israelite. She was Ruth the Moabitess. And in this time of the judges where every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes and not really paying much attention to the law and would have been antagonistic to even a Jew gathering behind the reapers in their field, 
how much more would they have despised and not wanted some stranger, some outsider coming in and gathering behind them. But here's Moabite, a Moabitess, uh, a heathen by, na- by nationality. Now Ruth is, is a converted woman and, and is following the Lord, but she's an outsider, she's a stranger. And she comes and she finds grace. And had Ruth not found grace in the eyes of Boaz, then she and Naomi both would have perished. Look at what she says in the passage. It says, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. She asked permission to do what the law already allowed her to do. But she found great grace there in the eyes of Boaz. And she found that bountiful provision from Boaz as well. Your spiritual circumstance, my spiritual circumstance, is no different than Ruth's on that score. If we don't find grace, we perish. If we don't find grace in the eyes of a Redeemer, we perish. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We must find grace in the eyes of a Redeemer. And that's where Ruth found herself. That's in the Gospel where we find ourselves. But Ruth found grace. But a second picture I see here is it shows us that a Savior provides for the sinner's need. And that's Boaz serving as a type of Christ. And we see that more clearly in chapter 4. We're not going to deal with chapter 4, but the whole aspect of the kinsman redeemer. And eventually, you know the end of the story. It's like a, a hallmark spoiler alert. They get married at the end. Right? You knew that was going to happen. Um, but Boaz does for Ruth what Ruth can't do for herself. Boaz, as the savior, the, the kinsman redeemer, actually does for Ruth exceeding abundantly above all that Ruth could have ever asked or thought. She went out for a day's provision of grain, only to come home with a month's or more provision of grain. Great grace, she found at the hand of that one who would be her redeemer. But we see more as as we develop the the spiritual imagery here. We see that she found a place of refuge. In verse number 7, Boaz told Ruth that she was able to take shelter under Boaz's little hut In, in the heat of the day when it was very difficult. There was a place of refuge for her to go to find shelter. Is that not what we find in our Savior, in Christ? Do we not find shelter in him, a shelter in this time of storm? Do we not find in him a strong tower? Do we not find in Christ a shield from the enemy? Do we not find in him rest for our weary souls? This is what Ruth found in Boaz. I don't want to stretch things too far, but... If we take the imagery here of the water of life, in verse number 9, we see uh, Boaz saying, Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. She was invited there to come and, and drink the water that didn't belong to her, the water that would... In, normal, in ordinary normal circumstances, had, had been off limits to her. But she was invited by Boaz to come in and partake of that 
which was life-giving, water. And we see in the gospel, Christ is the water of life. He told the woman at the well, if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. And Ruth there found uh, the water that she would have needed for the day. She also found the bread of life. If you look at verse number 14, And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers. Now she had identified herself already to Boaz as one of the lowest of slave servants. But at mealtime she was invited to come and sit at the very table with the main reapers, not the, ser- not the other lesser servants, but the main reapers. And I think the he, therefore, the he there refers to Boaz. Boaz reached to her parched corn, and she did eat and was sufficed and left. She's sitting at the table with Boaz himself. She's invited to come and dine, again, in a place that she didn't deserve to be at but a place that she found by grace. How, should, how could she have asked for any more from Boaz? How could she have found any more provision than what was provided for her? And how can we in Christ find any more provision than what's provided for us in Christ in the gospel? Notice the authorized version uses this word suffice at the end of verse number 14. I think in English we can read over that and look at that word sufficed, and eh, she had enough. Right? Just kind of a, a sufficient amount, just enough. But that word suffice in the Hebrew is actually the same word that's used in the book of Genesis and is translated as the word plenty. It's used to describe the seven years of plenty compared to the seven years of famine. She had enough and to spare. She was full. She had all she needed when she got up from the table, she didn't want or need any more. And when we come to Christ, is that not what we find? We find plenty and to spare. We face difficult circumstances. Just as Ruth and Naomi found themselves in Bethlehem at the end of very difficult circumstances. They found themselves in Bethlehem beat up, if you will. Beat up by the circumstances of life. The death of their loved ones the displacement from their country, and back again with nothing but, uh, if you will, the, the clothes on their back and the roof over their head. But they find God's bountiful provision. They, they find God's providence, God leading them exactly in the way that they should go, providing for every need along the way. What they experienced was a miracle of grace. You and I find ourselves in those kinds of circumstances so often where we just need a miracle of grace. If anything's going to turn around, if anything's going to be made right, we have to have a miracle of grace. And we can pray for such a thing. We can trust the Lord for such a thing. In our pre-service prayer time, I was struck with this in connection. The thought uh, came through my mind as we were praying there, and a couple prayed for those that have gone through our church that have have departed from the faith. They've, they've abandoned the gospel. They've, they've, they've gone to the things of the world. They need a miracle of grace. They need a providential circumstance to lead them the right place, the right time, the right word, and the Holy Spirit to regenerate the heart. We can pray for such a thing. We can trust God for such a thing. 
We have an example of it here in Ruth. We have examples for it in other places in Scripture. And we can trust the Lord for the bountiful provision that we need day by day. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the gracious reminder that we have over and over of the way that you provide for the needs of your people. And we thank you that we can look in our own lives and we can see how you've done these things for us. And it encourages us as we face things ahead to know that you are still well able to do all that needs to be done. You are still the sovereign God who rules over all the affairs of men. And so we pray for grace to trust you. We pray for the eye of faith to recognize your provision when it comes. And we pray for an obedient and thankful heart to thank you for it when it arrives. We pray that you'll bless us in this week that's before us. We each have many different responsibilities and burdens on our own hearts. And we pray for grace and strength to meet every trial. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.